from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life. So glad you're here. Joining us on the conversation that we have every week, exploring all those things related to work and the rest of your life, your family, your community, our society, your private self, your mind, body, your spirit. Some might call it soul. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm the founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and of the Wharton Leadership Program. I now run a management consulting and training company. It's called Total Leadership. You can visit totalleadership.org for information on what we do to help people and organizations find harmony among the different parts of their lives while improving performance in all of them. It is possible. We've demonstrated it for a couple decades now. So check out totalleadership.org to learn more. New episodes of this show premiere Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM channel 132. And you can follow us on Twitter at SXM Business. I am at Stu Friedman. Well, if you lead a team, if you're living a life, you need to convince people to be on your side, to, to support you in moving toward a better tomorrow. My guest today has been recognized for creating a workplace culture where that happens and where employees feel respected, nurtured. Jason Harris is the CEO of the creative agency Mechanism, M-E-K-A-N-I-S-M, which has been named to Ad Age's agency A-list and twice to their best places to work. He's also the author of a recent book called The Soulful Art of Persuasion. Jason, welcome back to Work and Life. Thank you for having me here, Stu. I'm super excited. Well, it's great to have you here. It's been a few years since you were here, so let me just say a little bit more about you before we dive into the conversation. Um, Jason works closely with brands through a blend of soul and science to create provocative campaigns that engage audiences. Those iconic brands include Peloton, Ben & Jerry's, Miller Coors, HBO, and the United Nations. Man, they need help. That's a tough job. Uh, He's been named in the top 10 most influential social impact leaders, as well as the four A's list of 100 people who make advertising great. His methods are studied in cases at the Harvard Business School, which doesn't diminish the luster of his brand somehow. I don't know why that's true, but that's true. Jason, it's great to have you here. Thanks for being here. All right. You start your, your wonderful book, The Soulful Art, of persuasion with an extended story about um, about David Bowie, yeah. uh, the great the great uh, performance and musical artist. And uh, I want to ask you why you chose that. But before I give you a chance to do that, I want to point out something quite controversial that you have said in this introductory vignette in an otherwise really not very controversial book. And let me quote. His albums, referring to Bowie, mixed an astonishing array of genres from art rock to glam rock to post-punk electronica, hard rock, jazz, new wave, and unfortunately, even disco. There was nothing he couldn't do. Jason Harris, what did you mean by that? Unfortunately, even disco. Well, you know, disco, (laughs) that is a very controversial you know, I like disco uh, a, a tiny bit. You know, there's a few <laughs> songs I like, but if you remember, disco got a bashing. Yes. Uh, and it took, I don't know if you saw the Bee Gees documentary. I missed that. Uh, okay. But they uh, they were on top after Saturday Night Fever. Yes. And then a, uh, a DJ, I believe in Chicago, uh, promoted the the idea that disco sucks and he had a uh it was at a baseball game he brought every fan had got in for free if they brought a disco album uh that they would smash they ended up smashing all these disco albums that was sort of the the climax of the end of the disco era yes. Dis- disco had become too mainstream they had the disco duck 
Disco, uh, disco duck. That, yes. Yep. And disco sort of hit a nosedive because everyone I jumped, know. jumped on the trend. And now it's sort of a, uh, a small blemish in the <laughs> canon of musical history. And Especially from I, Bowie. I didn't, want, I didn't want my role model to be caught up in disco duck. I see. Well, so I, that's why. understandable. And I'm just playing with you as I, I know, as I'm yeah. sure, you know, yeah. uh, no, the, it was wonderful that you started with Bowie. Explain why, like what, what it was that you were, um, you know, grabbing our attention with at the start with your description with of your relationship to him and his music. Well, you know, I, uh, uh, part of the principles that I talk about in the book and, and the founding one is this idea of being original. And yeah. I know a lot of your work is about that, that work-life balance and the mental health it takes. Uh, and one big important component of that is the ability to be yourself, mm-hmm. the ability to know your values, know what makes you tick, understand who you are as a person, all your idiosyncrasies, letting it all hang out there. Turn and, and face the strange. Turn and face the strange. Know who you are with all mm-hmm. your weird quirks and things that you think might repel people. Lean into those. Be truly who you are. And to me, uh, a pivotal moment for me was when I really uh, dove deep into David Bowie and learned his story and his history where he came out uh, making Bob Dylan records, folk music, when he first started because the record label wanted him to be they wanted to put him in a box of what was popular at the time mm-hmm. and you can't put david bowie in a box like that those those records didn't sell mm-hmm. so he went out and um lived at a monastery did my you know joined a mime troupe i have no idea why uh did some experimental arts labs really tried to dig into who he was and then he came back uh, and started a whole new chapter, and he was David Bowie that we all know today, and he just leaned into his weirdness, and people loved his weirdness. They reacted to it. He became a top-selling artist, and he you know, is the Bowie that we all know and love. And I think that is a lesson in understanding that, that being vulnerable and being yourself and all your weirdness will set you up for success. Well, what do you say to people who um, who are cynical about the notion of authenticity and like, yeah, if you're yourself then people are going to step on you or they're going to make fun of you or they're going to think you're stupid uh, because there are such people out there. And and, you know, the as you point out very, very clearly and very persuasively, I say I would say, uh, you know, there's um, the art of persuasion has a bad rap, um, perhaps because of that. So what's what's your what's your counter to that um, to that perspective? Yeah, I think I think persuasion and the the soulful part is the important element of it. Persuasion Mm -hmm. has a bad name. People think it's, uh, you know, a greasy salesman or you're going to get sold a bill of goods or, you know, it's that um, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, the Alec Baldwin guy who's like, sell them the, the, the land no matter what, get them to sign, always always be closing always close yeah Yeah, that's right abc and i think the world isn't really like that the world responds to people that are vulnerable that can put themselves out there and not everyone's gonna like it you know not everyone's Mm -hmm. gonna like it if you're there's a sales technique that is mirror and matching you know where you uh respond if the person likes golf you talk about golf If the person likes wine you talk about wine Mm -hmm. There's nothing exchanged when you're trying to persuade and sell by matching your audience. What really happens? I like the Jets too, Jason. Do, do, yeah, you don't though. No, you're right. I know I'm you looking, don't. I'm looking at Jason's uh, room and he's got some New York Jets football paraphernalia behind him, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, right, that's just, an example. Yeah, right. Joe I'm going to make Jason was the like best me quarterback. here. Quarterback. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. Please continue, though. This notion of mirroring, which I was trying to mock, uh, illustrate. Uh, what's wrong with that? What's isn't that a, isn't that a way to like get attuned to other people? By yeah, that's it. But that's inauthentic. So it's really about talking about your stories and what's important to you and who you are as a person, which makes the other person open up so they can tell you stories 
and um, things about their life mm -hmm. that maybe reveal a bit of their character. It's not about connecting because we're the exact same or you like the Jets. So I, I can talk about Joe Namath and then all of a sudden we're going to work together. And so it's really that is what it's about. And that authenticity creates vulnerability, which creates connection. And that connection is when persuasion is possible and when you can start to, to, you know, see improvements in your personal and business life. Yeah. Um, th that is certainly true in my own experience. You know, I, I teach this course on leadership from the point of view of the whole person. And the very, very first thing we do first class is uh, people have written about stories uh, of, from their own history that they're willing to share that are illustrative of turning points when they came to understand their values and their beliefs and who they are at, you know, three or four critical episodes in their life histories. And the very first thing we do within minutes of meeting in the first class is I ask people to, uh, in a you know, group of two or three people, simply share one of those stories. And for the other people to demonstrate interest and appreciation and curiosity about what they're hearing. And, you know, I don't have to do a lot more for the next four months over the semester, uh, be, you know, to other than just to guide and, and shift, you know, a bit along the way, because that that establishes a kind of connection, a human connection, a soulful co uh, connection that enables them to, you know, to be mutually supportive and to be helping each other as they grow as leaders through our, our class experience. I love that. Do you remember a time before you did that exercise at the beginning when you were teaching the same class? That's a great question. And what was yeah. the difference between well, A and B? Uh, I, I mean, you're you're asking that question because, you know, you know, the the power of of yeah. starting with those stories. So so say more. I, I mean, yes, I do remember. And the short answer is it, it was it was not as it was not as warm. It was not as open. It was not as relaxed and it wasn't nearly as engaging. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, but, I, I you know, I think it it are you know, we had uh, I've known you for years now although we've been sort of in and out of touch. Uh -huh. And I still remember, I don't know how many podcasts I've done, a hundred podcasts, whatever. I still remember having dinner with you mm -hmm. and we were telling life stories and that connection that like, I still feel like we have that mm -hmm. connection because we went deep into stories about our family and our life mm -hmm. that is strong. There's a bond created there. Yep. Versus, let's say, many other podcasts where, you know, even if I've had drinks or dinner with, they, I'd have to go back and, and find out who those people were. And mm -hmm. so when you're thinking about being yourself and being original and being vulnerable and opening up, there's a connection there that, that creates your network and your network creates the effect of having, uh, you know, success. And you can persuade people, you can get them on your side and on your team to work together, to do business together, if there's a strong foundational connection. And that comes from you knowing who you are and being yourself. And that's really the, 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 the sort of uh, ground floor yep. of soulful persuasion. Let me remind listeners, this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM Channel 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. And today, I'm very pleased to be speaking with my friend, Jason Harris, who is CEO of the great advertising agency Mechanism, and he's the author of a wonderful book, really helpful, very practical. It's called The Soulful Art of Persuasion. So uh, tell us about the, the four key principles, and then we'll get into some of the practices uh, that bring these principles to life. Yeah, sure. So we covered principle one, which is all about original and being yourself. Everyone else has already taken. That notion is foundational. And then the second is about being generous. It's really about trying to give something away in every interaction. Whenever you cross paths with someone, trying to leave them in a better place than, than when you started with them. And so that can be, uh, and that opens up the ability to collaborate, but giving something away can be your time, advice, counsel, contacts, references, anything. You know, it can be also gifts, of course, but let that sort of, we don't want to go straight to gifts. It can be about giving away uh, your time mm -hmm. and showing respect. And so that's the, the second principle 
The third is empathetic and it's developing a curiosity about others and trying to understand them on a deeper level. And it's seeking out collaborations. I mean, we know what empathy is at sort of a macro level. It's about connecting and understanding the other person. That's a very important step into building relationships and ultimately persuading folks. The final one is this idea of soulful, which is to be an inspiration uh, and striving to be an inspiration to other people and those around you. To me, this one is critical because it's really about, it's sort of like the cherry on top, it's the icing on the cake. It's about doing something beyond yourself and giving back to make the world a better place. And it sounds a little kumbaya, but it's really- I like kumbaya. You like kumbaya, great. It, kumbaya. <laughs> my, my, yes, yeah. what, 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 I, yes, people make fun of this notion of, uh, and, be, and they mock it because it's sometimes expressed disingenuously, right? That, you know, the, you know, the people present themselves as wanting to do world good in some form or fashion with their lives or their careers, but they don't really mean it. And so it's gotten a bad rap. Yeah. And, and I can tell you, whatever skill you have, we all have skills. Yours is understanding, uh, you know, or, or how organizations might work and the work-life balance and you're doing that for a career. What can you do that work-life integration? There's, I'm sure you do a ton, but there's a lot you can do with those skills to give back uh, to your community or to the world. You know, my skills, I do uh, pro bono works to work to fight against sexual assault on college campus, gender equality, really using, using skills um, I created a coalition of 100 agencies called the Creative Alliance. We do pro- non non uh, 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 nonprofit work, pro bono work, free work, mm-hmm. using our skills to make the world a better place. That's awesome. A, a friend of mine uh, cuts hair in the UK. He's a barber, so even a barber can do it. He ends up uh, going out on his lunch break one day, and he cuts uh, the hair of of some some homeless guy. It mm-hmm. gives him a real thrill that he's doing something positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he does it every lunch break. Then he does it one day a week. Then he ends up quitting his job and just doing that and traveling around the world, hmm. making homeless people feel uh, presentable and like they're being connected to another human. Then he writes uh, a book. Then he goes on stage and, and gets paid to talk about it. Mm-hmm. He turned it into a career but it was a, an act of, of doing something for nothing. And, hmm. and that's an example that anyone with whatever skill you have, there's something that you can offer that you can do. And it, it can be at a, a one-to-one level. It could be in your local community or it could be on a national stage. But that idea of soulful is really um, important and powerful. And it's being inspirational uh, to, you know, fight a fight for a cause, something that you believe in, and it inspires other people around you to do the same. People want to see you using your life and whatever talents, passions, skills, and opportunities, resources you've got, not to be self-aggrandizing and building your own, you know, your own wealth and material comfort, uh, but but helping other people. Everybody wants that of you and every, and of each other. Yeah, and I think um, you learn that as you get older, mm-hmm. the importance of that and how that benefits not just the, the greater good, but it benefits you. You know, it's almost like yes. s- selfish giving because you're the one that benefits from it, even though you're doing good in the world, but you're trying to inspire others to do that. And, you know, I wish it was something that I learned, which is why I, I put it in the book. I wish it was something I learned much younger in life, the benefit of that. And, and I, you know, me I didn't, too. I didn't wait till my forties to, to do it. Yeah. Well, that, that raises a really interesting question, uh, Jason, about how we educate our, our children, you know, most of the world's religions that are extant, you know, still, still around, they preach that essential idea, you know, whether they call it karma or the golden rule or, you know, whatever. Uh, and yet, and yet, and yet, we don't learn it, uh, right? So, so you're a father. How do you take these ideas 
and and we just have a couple minutes here before we have to break for a minute. But so let's just start this piece of the conversation. As a as a parent, how do you try to instill this essential idea uh, into your kids? Well, I I'm making them read my book. That's one thing. <laughs> uh, but I that sounds like coercion. That is rather that than is soulful co- persuasion, Jason. That is coercion. If you want if you want time on the Xbox. You'll read this chapter. No, I, uh, you know, I try to always show them the work that we're doing mm-hmm. uh, in the world and get them to comment on it. We, we just did a, a campaign called Made to Save, which is getting uh, people vaccinated. It's really pushing for vaccination in uh, lower income areas where, you know, they're, they're, uh, they don't trust the government or vaccinations and they won't get vaccinated. And, we did a, a big campaign um, for that that I I, th- I think we'll be launching um, from the White House tomorrow. I hope, uh, but that is really showing them that work and and explaining to them why we do that work, why we don't get paid for that work, why that work is important. I hope gives them sort of an understanding of, yeah, I, I get that. That's inspiring. I want to do something like that when I know what what my skill is or what my career is going to be um so that's one way i do it well is that working um and how would you know if it was or wasn't i'd say it's working on one of them and not the other one but (laughs) they're different personalities but i i think repetition matters and i think definitely it's going to get in their cranium one way or another so that when they're you know older and in in in, uh Mm -hmm. in their late teens early 20s i think they're going to they're going to really, it's going to really sink in. That's my hope. Well, you're trying, you know, you're you're consciously and deliberately trying to, you know, to pass on a certain, you know, way of thinking about your place in the world. And that's really all you can do uh, is, is to, is to be deliberate about that. Um, And one other thing is, as I try to celebrate, because, you know, we do that work for nonprofits, but I, all the brands we work with, we also try to bring this idea of giving back and purpose hmm. and inject it into the brands that we do. And I, that is so important, uh, not just for people, but for companies to really think beyond shareholder value and profits and wealth and think about the greater good because consumers are demanding that now. And they're sort of being forced by the audience to do that, but it's also the right thing to do. So I will celebrate with my kids that work for brands and not talk about how many, you know, Peloton bikes we sold or pints of of ice cream we, we were able to sell or about profits for the company that, that, that I run, you know, Mm -hmm. it's really focused on the good works and that's what I lift up beyond anything else. And they, they're likely to to have that sink in. How old are your kids now? Uh, Eleven and twelve. Yeah, so that's that's a critical uh, age, and I, you know, I'd love to get further into what our education system does to try to instill these values. But I, I want to return to um, the four principles that you write about: being original, generous, empathetic, and soulful. And ask before we have to take a quick break in just like a minute or so. What what's the most difficult aspect of being original? To turn to where we began this conversation, what's the hardest part you have you that you have found maybe for yourself or in the people that you're trying to help uh, understand this idea? What do people find most challenging? Well, I think there's kind of two things. I think you know one way uh, to be yourself. There's there is a lot of ways ways you can you can get there. One way is to really write down your values and understand the things that you believe in, your non-negotiables. It's also to look at role models. I talk about David Bowie, but draw inspiration from others that you admire Mm -hmm. and their uniqueness and what you admire about them. Mm -hmm. That's one way to help, help do Mm -hmm. that. Um, The, the other thing is, is to, is storytelling. And if you really want people to understand you, understanding how to tell a story and understanding similar to your exercise with your class, what are pivotal moments in your life and write them down and understand what they mean to you and what they represent. And what was the point of that event that happened to you so that you can tell others 
a story about your life so they understand you and really know what the point of that event and why it was important to you, which isn't just rattling off uh, moments in your life. It's rattling off stories and how they shaped who you are. And yeah. that, t- that takes time to write those down and reflect on them. That's the exact exercise that we begin with. We also ask people to write about someone they admire and what it is that they admire about them. So we're yeah. we're traveling along this uh, a similar path here, Jason. And I find that the difficult part of it is for people to be um, honest with themselves about what they really do indeed care about. It, especially if it's if it runs counter to all the social signaling, you know, that's been uh, thrown at them uh, in their families, in their communities, in their society. So uh, when we come back from the break, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you how you combat that, because I think that's really at the heart of what you're getting at is the struggle to be yourself, to be free, to be yourself. Um, We'll take a short break here, but don't go away. When we come back, I'll continue my conversation with Jason Harris. We're going to be talking about further about the soulful art of persuasion. I'm Stu Friedman. This is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio. Hey, welcome back to Work and Life. So glad you're here. I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I run a, a management consulting and training company. It's called Total Leadership. We're dedicated to helping individuals and organizations find harmony among the different parts of their lives. It's what my guest, Jason Harris, is up to in his life and work. He is the CEO of the Creative Agency Mechanism, and he's the author of a book that I hope you read. It's called The Soulful Art of Persuasion. Jason is also co-founder of the Creative Alliance, which we started to talk a bit about, and I want to I get into that further in this second half. But we were talking about, you know, what what we can do to 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 propagate, you know, this idea of, of soulful connection more in our society. And maybe that's a way for you to tell us a little bit more about what uh, Creative Alliance is about. Yeah, sure. So um, Creative Alliance, it started. This was the first time that I realized the soulfulness of giving back and doing good. And it was in. 2014 uh so it was around right i think i was i'm i met you in like 2015 so it was right right around Mm -hmm. that time and um we really worked with uh the obama administration to launch a campaign called it's on us which was to combat sexual assault on college campus which is incredibly prevalent with about 20 percent of freshmen and sophomore primarily women uh, being sexually assaulted. Yep. And, and it's very underreported. Um, and it's still a huge problem. We're working on a, we've still been working on that campaign and we're working on uh, one that's coming out for back to school in September. Excellent. That was a, that was the first time that I got a taste of doing, using my skills in advertising and the team here at, at mechanism to give back and do good. Uh, and, you know, we're now, uh, six years into it, seven years into it, still doing that campaign. The value that that brought me personally to use our skills, not just to sell deodorant and sneakers and whatever other brands we work with was so immense because I was at a turning point in my career where I thought, so I've kind of put in my 10,000 hours, mastered advertising, have a very successful agency. That's it. Now what? And by using the, instead of creating new skills to do something else, I could use those skills that I've honed mm-hmm. and crafted uh, to do some good in the world. And the employee satisfaction, the, uh, you know, a recognition of doing that work was great for the company, great for me, great for the employees and did some good in the world. And there's 500 chapters now on college campuses for, for it's on us to really talk to college men to not be bystanders, but to, to get involved and stop it. And so then I wanted to do more of this work, but I realized in running a company, I can't do everything for free. I can't just do good works and still keep all the employees. So I created, uh, co-founded something called the Creative Alliance, which now has a hundred agencies in it. And when wow. there's a nonprofit 
that has something like, let's get more people voting. Let's fight for gender equality. Let's fight against racism. There's an agency and a media company and they'll come together and donate their time. So I really made it a collective and created a large group that could fight, uh, fight the good fight. And I passed on that. I propagated that idea of doing free work um, and everyone using their skills. And that's been incredibly rewarding to, to see, you know, former competitors working together hmm. to, to, to do good works. I'm uh, well, first, how do people learn more about that in particular and, and how can they get involved in that? And then I want to ask you how it changed your own identity in, you know, in, in public life and how yes. you felt about yourself. That's great. So uh, civicnation.org is the nonprofit organization in DC and the mm-hmm. Creative Alliance. You can learn about the Creative Alliance on civicnation.org. We are the um, communication experts that help them with whatever campaign is, is, is happening. Um, so that's how you can learn more and how it, yeah. I mean, it, it just made me from, you know, really go from a disillusioned ad man hmm. to loving what I do again, not just because I can get hired by brands and, you know, run a business, but to realize that what I do has a place in the world that's bigger than a brand or a company or myself. And it reinvigorated me in my career at a point where I was, I was pretty, you know, disillusioned and Hmm. um, realized, you know, you start to think about legacy and what you're teaching your children and what else there is. And it revitalized me and it's been a game changer. It saved me really. What do you mean? I mean, it saved me, I think, from a mental health uh, uh, capacity of feeling like I'm not just a, you know, capitalistic uh, soldier, but I am a a skilled um, player that can benefit the world. It it, it changed the way I, I was wired, really. Well, how did it affect your mental health? I felt happier about going into work. I felt happier about what we do. I felt like it, it was something I could um, inspire employees around. Employees could work on these campaigns. They felt the company um, had a, a, a bigger place in the world. It, it just made me um, feel a lot better about the work we do. Yeah, you had a purpose, right? That yeah, that was not just about uh, wealth generation for uh, a small slice of society, uh, and and that has to affect how you feel about yourself and about your role in other parts of your life. Uh, my 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 bet is that it probably affected how you how you uh, came across as a father, but I don't know. What do you think? I think so. I, I mean, I had it had to. It was. It was really um, a seminal moment in life, life changing. And I'd run, I'd read, uh, there was a Gallup poll that came out that said the least trustworthy professions in the world, in the, in the world, uh, number one was politician, which isn't surprising. (laughs) Number sad that that's true, but yes. Number two was car salesman. And then number three was advertising practitioner. Mm. And, and that really, um, you know, that's what people think about uh, advertising. They think about it as persuasion mm-hmm. in, in getting people to buy uh, goods and services they might not need. That's not our approach on it. That's not how we look at advertising. Um, but that is maybe how the world looks at it. And so it can also be incredibly great communications to get more people vaccinated Mm-hmm. to stop sexual assaults on college campuses, to raise the bar on gender equality. It can also do a lot of good in the world as well. So as a business person, do you find yourself in conflict with your economic you know, pressures and your you know, social and moral compass? Uh, I imagine you must encounter that pretty regularly, that sort of tension. How do you, how do you manage that? Well, you know, you, I know you, you talk a lot about this work-life integration and balance, and that's a big, you know, that's, that's been, been your sort of hallmark in your career. And I think um, 
that's that's one way I've I've come to terms with it. My, you know, there's the tension with my CFO always mm-hmm. about how much time we're we're giving away and how much profit we're making. But we've we came up with this uh, this sort of idea that ten percent of all time, energy, profit, resources will be dedicated to doing free work. And so we can quantify it. We can measure it. We know of 200 employees, 10% of their time, all of that time put together is going to be put towards doing this kind of work. Now, you know, do I wish it was 30%? Yeah, sure. But it's, it's a good start that we can measure it by and we know Mm -hmm. what to take on and what not, what, what not to take on. And, and I have to just balance the idea of living a life in New York City versus only doing this type of work, which is, mm-hmm. you know, maybe when I retire, what I'll focus on. But for now, I've integrated that into my work and in my life. And that that balance has been working. I want to ask you about the pandemic and how that's affected your your life and work. But let me just remind listeners, this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I am your host, Stu Friedman, and I have the pleasure today of talking with Jason Harris, who is the CEO of Mechanism. That's M-E-K-A-N-I-S-M. And he's the author of The Soulful Art of Persuasion. So how do, how do the dynamics of soulful persuasion or the soulful art of persuasion shift when you are, you know, living in a in pandemic times and and uh, and and a shift to you know different modes of working, remote, uh, distance, etc. How's it yeah. affected you? Yeah, I think it's um, you know I think the same the same principles apply. You know, you follow mm-hmm. the same principles. I think in terms of um, you know I always believe in this idea of of never be closing. Um, which I think never be closing, about. never be closing, which, which means is, that, which means what exactly that's, that's one of your 11 important, uh, practices. What does it mean to never, never be closing as opposed to always be closing? So never be closing to me is, is letting go of short-term transactional thinking and focusing on building your, um, your, your network and meaningful relationships. And so during the pandemic, it meant, uh, you know, sending things to people that you want to stay in touch with. It means a simple note or text. It means a simple, uh, you know, coffee Zoom. But really trying to make sure you're nurturing that network and you're not uh, doing the hard sell. And that has been, uh, you know, a different way of you would normally do that in person and be, be building those relationships in person. And so you just had the shift by following this, this never be closing idea. And in, in business, I, I like to play the long game and really think about it as a holistic relationship network building over time, not, you know, close this deal or not move on to the next deal or not. And that's uh, the way that I've, I've tried to really wire the way I think. And how has that played out in remote life or, or is it, is it pretty much the same principle just, you know, enacted in a, in a different kind of, you know, yeah, same, same, same principle. So these principles, I just uh, are, 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 you know, I stick with them uh, in, in regular times and in, in pandemic times, I think it's been harder in a closed environment to, you know, ha- put in that extra energy in building the network. Um, you just, which is odd because you're home all the time, but mm-hmm. you get, I don't know about you, but I tend to have less energy when I'm looking at a box all day than when I'm walking around out in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's pretty draining. Um, so, so what, you know, how do you manage that? What, what, what have you, what have you done to, to cope and, and what have you done to help your, your employees cope who, who say that yours is a great company to work for? Well, we, you know, obviously we let people take, take time off whenever they want. We try to do, we try to block out, we call it mechanism off where we block out two hour windows in the middle of the day where no one can book meetings. And that's either where you can get up and walk around or do your critical thinking without distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've implemented a few of those things uh, into work that have been, uh, relatively 
relatively helpful. What I do is I block off um, 20 minute windows one, once, once a day uh, to get in touch or send an article or let someone know that I'm thinking about them in my network. And I do, uh, you know, five to 10 people a week. And I block out that in my calendar to make sure I'm staying on top of that, that network building. I Uh, love that because that's a very practical and specific thing that anybody can do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, if you don't do that, uh, that sort of mechanism, no pun intended, if you don't do that, Mm -hmm you tend to say, I'll remember to send that or I'll do that article to George or Jane when the time comes. But if you make it a habit and you block it out in the morning, uh, you'll get it done and you'll always be thinking about other people. Well, that's that's a kind of discipline that um, is is instructive and inspiring. You, you really have to make a commitment to that, you know, sense of uh, generosity to be giving your your stuff, your ideas, your connections, etc., away, um, because it doesn't happen naturally, does it, Jason? Well, this of all the principles—original, generous, you know, empathetic, and soulful—generous to me was was the hardest one that I had to learn. Because you're basically a, just a selfish person. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a prick. I'm basically a prick. No, I, I just was that not, most I, people that I've talked to about you have not said that. Oh, good. That's good. <laughs> That's good. I, I know Patty doesn't think so, but I really um, was brought up under different managers where it was much more about holding on to information, holding mm-hmm. on to your contacts, mm-hmm. um, really, keeping everything close to the, to the vest as it Mm -hmm. were, and not sharing freely and not thinking about, you know, if someone calls me for a referral, I can send them uh, someone or if someone uh, at another agency needs, you know, a producer, can I recommend someone? I really was brought up under management styles that were much more in the, the work is a knife fight and that we have to, Mm. we have to hoard things. And it took me a long time to realize that doesn't get you very far. And I had to unwind that idea. And generosity um, maybe naturally didn't come to me, but also I think in in behavior that I modeled, it, I didn't see it. And so mm-hmm. I had to really unlearn that and, and come, get those habits of being a generous person. That was the hardest thing. And some of these principles – if people read the book, they'll, they'll be natural and people are already doing them. Maybe someone's already empathetic. Um, but for me, uh, being a generous person, I was, was a learned behavior. So what did you have to overcome? You, 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 the models of the people that you saw, the, the, the socialization methods that they were using to train you. Uh, but what was, you know, like for you say behaviorally, emotionally, what did you have to do to, what did you have to, yeah, do to, to really change that style? Because that's, that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, yeah, I just, I had to, I had to rethink that, um, you know, the, the basic principle that it's not a, it's not a, a zero sum game, you know, mm-hmm. that everyone can do well at the same time. And I had to just kind of, I knew it in my, maybe in my gut, but I wasn't practicing it. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was counter to the way um, I I thought business ran. Now, do you think I I had to, you know, one thing I did also on that note is, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure you probably talk a lot about in, in some of your, some of your teachings, but this idea of um, practicing uh, gratitude, cultivating a sense of gratitude for the good things in life and recognizing those interactions um, and, and that through gratitude, you become, I think, less uh, selfish and more grateful and you want to help other people also share in that gratitude. So I think just, you know, different practices. I have a gratitude journal uh, that I write in. Um, I actually do it with my kids once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, every Sunday, some people might do it every day or every morning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do it once a week for a half hour with my kids. And we write down, uh, things that we're grateful for in the past week. And then we read them to each other and that's created, mm-hmm. uh, a habit 
um, where I'm always thinking about those things and I'm thinking about what I'm going to write down at the end of the week and, and things like that. That's a great idea and a very specific practice that any parent can do. Yeah, it's true. And it's and super effective. It, it works uh, because uh, you're, you're making it a, a, a discipline, a habit of the heart uh, some would call it that that really compels you to be um, thinking about you know what it is that you are here to do with your life. That's right. Uh, we, we used to when the kids were young. Um, I'm a grandfather now. No uh, way. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. My kids are well well beyond where yours are. Well, how old are your kids? Well, they are 33, 30, and 27, um, and. I've got three grandchildren. And one of the things that we used to do when the kids were young was uh, every Friday night at dinner, we'd go around the table and say something about what we did that we thought was helpful to other people. Anything could be oh, anything. I love that. It could be a teeny tiny little thing. That's awesome. It was. And it, yeah. And that's now something that's just part of our culture. You know, uh, it's just another example of simple things that I think are part of most religious practices, like what you're describing, what I'm describing, but that have been lost as people have, you know, lost their connection so many to formal, uh, you know, ways of thinking about how our lives, you know, have meaning. Uh, but you're doing that, and you're doing that with your work here in this in this book. We only have a couple minutes left, Jason. What is, what's the main thing that you want people to be, you know, learning and, and changing? as a result of their um, experience in, in reading the soulful art of persuasion? You know, I think um, it's really, you know, the book is based on, on an idea that, you know, it's taking back the word persuasion and not making it such an ugly word because we are every day persuading in, in whatever we do. You're pers- you and Patty are persuading people to listen to the show, get on the show, come on the show you're persuading uh, people in your in your in your classroom to understand work life integration. We're all we're, you're persuading your uh, maybe your your kids to go on a vacation with you, and that you they want to go to Paris and you want to go to Rome. No, I, I've so, given up on that one, but, okay, but please continue. These are uh, good examples. <laughs> the idea is that we whether we like it or not, persuasion is is how we interact, and it's it's happening every day in all aspects. And the real point of the book is that persuasion isn't about facts and argument. It's about personal character. And if personal character uh, can improve based on these principles, you're going to be a much more influential person. And uh, you're going to be the kind of person that people want to agree with because of your personal character. That's the main thrust of the book. And and that's something that you can consciously and and deliberately and mindfully uh, shape. Yes, if it, you can change your behavior over time so that it becomes uh, habitual, and you can through practices and simple examples that are uh, littered throughout the book, you can you can learn those things so they become second nature. So, so to, to people who are listening and thinking, yeah, that's something I'd like to do, but I, you know, I've just not ever been able to, to make those kinds of changes. How would you advise them, Jason? I would say, uh, you know, think about break down these elements into there's 11. They each have an actionable step for them mm-hmm. and try to not, not boil the ocean but take them one at a time and learn, you know, if you want to be, be more of yourself and learn to be a great storyteller, tackle that one mm-hmm. for a period of time and then move on. Mm-hmm. If, if you're already empathetic, you don't, you might skip that and learn how to be uh, more generous and take those, um, those lessons and those learnings and try to tackle those. I would try to make it um, doable and bite size and not try to change all at once. Yeah, because then it becomes uh, impossible. Now, um, Jason, in, in the last minute here, I understand you're getting a new dog. Uh, tell <laughs> yes, tell us about true. why you are calling that dog what you're going to call him. So uh, getting a dog. I haven't had a dog in poof, maybe tw- 15 years, 20 years. 
my last dog, when I, I put my uh, dog, his name was Jazz. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I, I put why down. are you calling him what you're calling the, the dog you're getting now? All right, so the dog I'm getting now is going to be called Bruce. Bruce! Bruce. And the reason why Stu and I connected is because we are both, Bruce Springsteen has played pivotal uh, uh, roles in our lives yes. and transformative roles in understanding the genius and the poet of Bruce Springsteen. How has he inspired you in 30 seconds, Jason? How has Bruce changed your life? Bruce has changed my life because I realized that um, he understands the human condition and what struggles uh, people face. And he knows how to put that into words and music. Yeah, that's so well put, uh, be, you know, because he has faced his own. Right. And really looked inside and done the work, just the kind of work you're talking about in your wonderful book, The Soulful Art of Persuasion. Jason, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Please tell listeners how they can learn more about the book and the other great work you're doing. Sure. Yeah. You can go to uh, my agency's mechanism.com with a K. You can go to the soulfulart.com to learn more about me and the book and at Jason underscore Harris on all the social channels. So reach out and say hi. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you. Appreciate it, Stu. Yes, as do I. And thank you for listening. Don't forget to tune in next week, 5 p.m. Eastern. If you have a question about something you heard on the show today, you can just email me. I'm Friedman at Wharton.upenn.edu. Our station is at is business radio at SiriusXM.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at SXM Business. I am at Stu Friedman. And you can find... Uh, edited versions of shows as free podcasts eventually at a little bit after they air live on the on the on the radio here you can find them at totalleadership.org where you can also find all kinds of free resources videos book chapters articles and more and information about how our company helps people create harmony and better performance in all parts of life thanks patty hall and sound engineer chris tooks i'm Stu friedman you've been listening to work and life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132.